This talk today is focused on right or wise speech. I'm offering it as food for thought or discussion, things to consider when looking at the effects of our own speech or how someone's words affect us. The need to study this deeper uh, for me arose out of a real despair last year as political discussion broke boundaries of civil discourse and basic caring. Every day of our lives we're affected by the written or spoken words of others, by the words we ourselves write or say, or our own internal unspoken dialogue that sets our hearts and intentions in certain directions. The words we think, hear, or say can be uplifting, inspiring, helpful, creating a safe sanctuary, or ill-willed, thoughtless, threatening, or even horrific. We are all inundated with the words spoken and posted, tweeted, written in articles every day. We respond automatically in ways that are conditioned on all our past experiences, how we were brought up, specific experiences, traumatic events, or learned responses that we have acquired over our lifetime. The political po polarization in our country has elevated the harsh and judgmental and accusatory forms of speech to a level that I have not experienced previously. And I have seen it affect myself and my friends and family in ways that cause personal suffering and compounds the suffering of others. What we say matters. And the words that are thought, spoken, and written can create a world of illusion, hurt, and division. Around the 6th century BC, Buddha, the son of an aristocratic family, came to the realization that life was characterized by unsatisfactory conditions, uncertainty, and illusions of separateness. He abandoned his own privileged position to go on a quest to find a way of being that would transcend the suffering that resulted from ignorance of these realities. Meditation and insight is the ground of Buddhist practice, and in his further teachings, he spoke on the specifics that could lead to freedom from rebirth into the cycle of suffering, living and living with an open heart and compassion. The Eightfold Path is an ancient roadmap to realizing our true potential, as Orange J. Sofer put it in his course on right speech that I participated in a year ago. The cause and effects of speech were, were considered so important to the Buddha that the right or skillful speech is one of these eightfold paths. This is not a judgment or moral ethical right or wrong, but a practice that leads to a lessening of suffering and harm and to a growth of compassion and loving kindness. So what does wise or right or skillful speech refer to? So we can explore what the Pali texts state about skillful speech. And that this is quoted. And what, monks, is right speech? Abstinence from false speech, abstinence from malicious speech, abstinence from harsh speech, and abstinence from idle chatter. This is called right speech. And this is from the Samyutta Nikaya. In other places, uh, it's written more in the positive tone of right speech, in which we say that right speech must be truthful, kind, promote goodwill and harmony, and be beneficial and timely. So they can be seen as ethical guidelines, but they can point at a finger at how they can point a finger at how to create a healthy space between the speaker and their audience, where the reality of the worth and dignity of every human being is recognized and our interconnectedness is acknowledged always. 
Indeed, healthy communication can be an important factor in social transformation. Words that we say or are said to us can lead us to change or transform from greed, hate, and delusion to seeing things in a new light, opening up us up to compassion, empathy, and connection. So let's start with the first quality of speech, that it be true. This seems like it should be uh, fairly straightforward. Say what you know to be true, say when you don't know the truth of something, and don't speak falsely. Speak without a hidden agenda and without intent on manipulation. But the subtleties of telling or not telling the truth becomes apparent when we really start paying attention to what we say and hear daily. Look no further than our political discourse. Listen to the advertising claims in the media, promises of looking young forever and weight loss claims. Listen to how we reframe and share our own experiences to appear in a good light. Constructing a persona, say, on Instagram and Facebook that shows a somewhat distorted view. Look at how we avoid saying how we're really feeling. We often say, I'm just fine when we're not. Not expressing our needs in clear and truthful and direct ways is more common than we'd like to think. There are so many ways of looking at truth and truth-telling. To see and know reality, to know what is true, seeing things just as they are, with pure attention unclouded by distortion or delusion as they are in the present moment, uh, is a central issue in Buddhist practice, according to Lama Surya Das in his book, Awakening the Buddha Within. But for all of us, not just Buddhists, the practice of observing ourselves clearly, taking into account different perspectives, and at the same time being very present is difficult, but it is vital as our multifaceted culture struggles to become more inclusive. How we see truth changes if we start noticing our body reactions, our emotional undertones, recognizing and acknowledging how our circumstances, and especially our privilege, our place in societal strata, can color our view of reality or truth. The art of introspection, mindfulness, and especially listening deeply to all people, taking time to get away from the loud din of news or social media, taking time to work or sit or walk in silence to observe our feelings, emotions and physical pain are all ways of resetting or checking how we're seeing the reality of a situation. When we can do that regularly, we become more informed with a deeper wisdom on what is true and how to convey and speak that truth. The next quality of speech to strive for is that speech be kind and that we avoid harsh speech. Mark Twain, in, in his satirical essay on the decay of the art of lying, wrote, An injurious truth has no merit over an injurious lie, neither should ever be uttered. Harmful or harsh speech can appear through the guise of joking, sarcasm, or the use of words as we blame or accuse another person of wrongness. The end point of where we want it to be is obscured because the listener is reacting to the pointed finger and the intent to blame hurt, or judge, instead of connect. When we are on the receiving end of that, we become defensive and resistant. Our hearts, our ability to hear or empathize with the other, shrinks. We are less likely to recognize the feelings of another person. So this part of wise speech has to do with the emotional tone of our speech. Someone who abandons harsh speech, quote, becomes a speaker of words as our innocent, 
pleasing to the ears and lovable, as to go to the heart and are civil, desired of the many and dear to the many. These words are attributed to the Buddha in the Salayaka Sutta. Well, that sounds very good, and, but it pretty much falls apart for me if I'm feeling threatened, fearful, or experiencing what I would call in myself self-righteous anger. Marshall Rosenberg, in his book, Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life, writes about anger and its place in contributing to the violence of our planet. Even some expressions of righteous anger, anger at injustice, although it may shame and intimidate a person to comply, works against actually allowing the other person to change their heart. One has to be careful here as to not take this as an invitation to allow abuse by another person or to not speak up if we're witness to violence or injustice. The trauma caused by injustice and its long-lasting effects is real and sometimes requires speaking in an in uncomfortable truths. But being cognizant of timing, working with the intention of connecting with the other person in a helpful way can open up a path for the other person to hear. And in many of our interactions, looking deeply and carefully, understanding the causes and our own needs behind our arising anger is vital. We can then learn how to express the underlying need that was threatened and ask for what we wanted and avoid the, the conditioned, harsh, blaming language that is so easily used. I do recommend the book uh, as good reading by Rosenberg, and especially this chapter that I'm quoting from, uh, entitled, Ex Expressing Anger Fully. I need to add here that in cases of repeated or extreme trauma, removing oneself from interaction, maintaining a boundary of space and non-communication can be a very appropriate response to preserve one's own mental or physical safety. Kind speech in this case would apply more to how we are talking and taking care of ourselves. So the next is speech that promotes goodwill and with that we avoid malicious and divisive speech. Slander, backbiting, gossiping are widespread in our interactions, whether in person or on social media. The result is disharmony and suffering for the people involved. In the same sutta that was quoted above, the Buddha's words are that the person who abandons or abstains from malicious speech does not repeat elsewhere what he has heard here in order to divide these people from those. Thus, he is one that reunites those who are divided. A promoter of friendship who enjoys concord, rejoices in concord, delights in concord, and is a speaker of words that promote concord. So it is curious, and I wonder, why gossip can feel so natural and in good fun. Joseph Goldstein, a Buddhist teacher, suggests in his book on mindfulness that it becomes a reaffirmation of self in relationship to another person when we gossip, and that there is ego gratification when we're talking about someone else's faults. There is often an us and them component that solidifies our group standing. When Goldstein decided to finally spend some months trying not to gossip and to talk about another person if they weren't present, he found at first that he had very little to say. But he also found that his thoughts became less critical in judgment over that time. So developing a practice of avoiding gossip and backbiting can be beneficial to our own sense of peace and equanimity, as well as expressing clearly that reality that we are all, without exception, connected. 
The next quality of speech is avoiding useless speech or idle chatter. The more contemporary interpretations that refer to lay people uh, do, not re do not refer to the small talk as chit-chat or friends, uh, uh, with friends or business, in business contexts. Uh, that kind of uh, conversation can be connecting instead of cordial tone. This has more to do with speaking at the appropriate time, speaking with facts, and speaking about things that are helpful. It can be about the energy that is brought to a conversation. Is it rooted in kindness, concern, or connection? Or is it a careless and self-promoting, self-serving diatribe? Sometimes in this context, connecting with our intention will encourage a better tone in our conversations. One meditation teacher, Jonathan Faust, used this acronym, WAIT, W-A-I-T, meaning, why am I talking? Contemplating the answer to this at any point while we're speaking may often cause us to pause and reset, making our words more relevant, helpful, and focused. So for these four aspects of speech, is it true, is it kind, does it promote harmony, is it useful and timely? We all have our strengths and we have our weaknesses. So it is a lifelong practice to work with our own speech and to learn to be better communicators. There are other ways of looking at right speech in addition to these four guideposts. R.N.J. Sofer, who I mentioned before, is both a Buddhist practitioner and leads retreats on mindful communication. In his book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication, he offers three ways to bring these aspects of wise speech together. The first is to lead with presence. This means being in touch with our bodies, thoughts, and emotions in a mindful way. Any training and awareness can be useful in getting in touch with ourselves in, in the moment and staying in the moment during conversation. Meditation, yoga, mindful gardening, walking, any activity that encourages us to be present in the moment is useful. And using speech as a mindfulness practice means that even while we're talking, checking in to see how we're reacting to a conversation, checking in to see if we can sense the other person's feeling, empathy, bringing, brings more information and wisdom to our consciousness, and then gives us better choices, especially during difficult transactions. Listening deeply and gaining the spills to do that better keeps us present with the person we are with and often that is all the other person wants or needs. The next quality Sofer suggests is to bring conversation to, to bring to conversations is that of curiosity and the intention to understand. He believes that we can cultivate the intention to care and understand. It takes patience and it takes humility. For our own inner peace and health, moving from judging to understanding opens up channels of change for all involved. Cultivating the intention to be kind and curious about the other person's life and experiences where that's safe brings a different energy to the space between two people. The first reading from Shantideva earlier in the service is a poem of intentions. It is said that the Dalai Lama recites the original words every morning as a statement of intentions for the day. So it would be interesting if we all walked into conversations stating an intention of connection. The last quality that can be brought to our ability to speak wisely is to be able to know what is important. And that means knowing 
what our own needs are and how they can be met. We can observe and come to know the communication habits that we've developed over our lifetime and have served us, for better or for worse, and understand that they all serve deep needs that are usually not articulated. It can be the need for recognition, it can be the need for safety, the need to be heard. In the larger societal conversations, it can be the need for justice or compassion. And as we become more aware of our own needs, we can begin to hear and recognize the needs that underlie the vulnerable in society and indeed the difficult family member, the estranged friend, and the loud, hurtful person on the other side of the political aisle. And from there, new truths are brought to light and healthier communication and connection can begin. The real dialogue will begin when we see each other's needs and see the pain and joy in ourselves and the people we previously saw as the other. The cultivation of the quality of right or skillful speech is a radical practice. It includes developing a sense of presence in ourselves and, and in the person or people that we're relating to in the conversation. It concerns a curiosity about the other people and forming an intention to reach understanding. It is developing an understanding of our unspoken needs and the needs of the other person or people. If they remain unspoken, they take on a life of their own. Bringing the qualities of truth, kindness, and the intention to be in harmony and the intention to be helpful can be the guideposts to a transformed way of communicating. Can it help transform our polarized society? It can be the next step. I can only invite you to consider these practices and then see what the results are. May it be so.